iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Off Air with me, Jane Garvey. And me, Fee Glover. And we are fresh from our brand new Times radio show, but we just cannot be contained by two hours of live broadcasting. So we've kept the microphones on, grabbed a cuppa and are ready to say what we really think. Unencumbered and Off Air. Off you go. Well, you can start. Hello and welcome to Off Air with me, Jane Garvey. And me, Fee Glover. There Excellent. we are. That'll do. That's got everybody confused. So it is Tuesday and uh, today it felt like a, a trust truce had been called, albeit a temporary one. Yeah. So after the fervour of yesterday, when we followed the goings on in the House of Commons for most of our programme, and it did feel like there was, a, I know FIBRA is an overused word at the moment, but the atmosphere around Parliament and what might be happening and who might be there and what was going to be said was extraordinary, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, it was. It felt incredibly pressurised. And you're right, today it feels like, I don't know, it's like after a thunderstorm, isn't it? Yeah, I think we are just bobbing around in slightly calmer waters. But I think tomorrow... Prime Minister's questions. That's going to be one not to miss. Yeah. And you can listen with Matt Chorley, of course, because he does that very clever thing on Times Radio where he stops the action and interprets it. Yep. You've definitely drunk the Kool-Aid. No, I have. I, I know which side my bread's buttered. <laughs> I love Matt Chorley's I love show. bread and butter. <laughs> no, I do, because when they... The, the slogan is uh, politics without the boring bits, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, and And politicians always, when they come to power, they promise to do it differently and without the boring bits and they're going to get rid of the yarboo of Prime Minister's question time and they're going to trim around the edges of, you know, the civil service, all that kind of stuff. It's same old, Cut same red old, tape. Same old, yep, same old, same old. Uh, so politics without the boring bits could have sounded like a meaningless slogan, but it's bloody well true on Matt Chorley's programme. Yeah, so you're not far behind me in the uh, queue at the bar for the Kool-Aid, are you? <laughs> no, not at all. We're having a nice time here, aren't we? I'm very grateful to our listeners who sympathise with us starting new jobs relatively late in life and just the rather prosaic things that we find difficult about them. So Sarah sent an email saying I started a new job after nine years in my previous role at the beginning of March 2020, 14 days in the actual office before we all got sent home. And I completely agree with you. The thing I missed in those first few weeks and do still now is not knowing anyone when I walk through the wider office to our team's area, not seeing a familiar face is really hard. My colleagues are lovely, but I just don't know any of the wider office and it all leads me to just wanting to work from home all the time. And I'm not sure that's so good. Uh, thank you for your daily podcast. Uh, I like having more of you two to listen to as I can't always catch the live show. Keep doing what you're doing. Well, I mean, after what can only be described as a couple of minutes of super creep, uh, we do intend to keep doing what we're doing. So, yeah, I'm with you there, Sarah. I. Uh, it's interesting what Sarah says about um, wanting to work from home. You and 
I have both had periods of working from home over the last couple of years. I am so much happier now I'm not working from home. Yeah, me too, sister. It's just It just feels better to get out of the house and into a workplace and space where there's a hubbub. And yes, it makes you tired, but I'm kind of getting energy from being around people who are full of energy. Yep. I could not uh, voluntarily work from home no, again. I no, just no. wouldn't want to. It would be with a very heavy heart if I ever, ever had to work from home. Um, this is from Mary. Um, I really chime with your item about settling into a new work workspace. Um, although I've been retired for over 20 years from a large office-based job, I can vividly recall how much my special toilet cubicle meant to me. <laughs> it's interesting you say that, Mary. I'm going for the third one in at the moment. Oh, phew because I I'm going second one from the end. Oh, you're going right to the end. I thought after we talked about it, I think it was yesterday, wasn't it? I thought, God, I bet we've got there. I bet we've gone for the same one. No, clearly we haven't. No, good. Completely different stalls, completely different way of operating. I leave work happy today. (laughs) With a spring in her step. Uh, Mary says, in modern jargon, it was my safe space, this is her special toilet cubicle, where I could go to gird my loins for the next round of management's management speak and sexism which was a never-ending accompaniment to trying to get the real job done um mary yes thank you for telling us about your special toilet cubicle and indeed about what you had to go through 20 years ago in your office job i mean there was there is crap spoken in every work workplace but and there's also sex sexism in most workplaces even now but i bet it was a nightmare 20 years ago depending on what you did actually i guess but and depending whereabouts in the world you were but mary you're a better and stronger person for living through it. And do tell us if you have a special cubicle <laughs> that means something to you. <laughs> I mean, we all have habits. I remember there was a very distinguished, I'm not going to mention his name, a very distinguished BBC journalist who I could never take seriously again because I always used to see him at the same time every day going into the loo with a newspaper. And because I could see him and it was always the same guy at the same time, I just... I mean, he was really revered. <laughs> Sorry, that leaves a lot of people. By not mentioning who it is, a lot of people are in the frame there. Yeah, I think you haven't really narrowed it down. I think also uh, the, there's another person uh, from our previous existence uh, who I could never, ever look straight in the face once you knew the punchline to a very, very well-known anecdote. Oh, yes, I know what you the mean. Building. About the two women. Is yeah. that you, Gloria? Yeah. No, is that you, Maureen? <laughs> no, I've heard it as Gloria. <laughs> Anyway, look, uh, this is silly and we've we've disappeared up our own fundament uh, and let's try and broaden proceedings. We talked about a couple of things on the programme today, one of being the prospect of winter blackouts, uh, because this is a particularly terrifying thing that yes. might be coming around the corner. Yeah, but worst case scenario, not. Worst case not. Scenario, I know yes. the media loves to prepare people for things that are pretty terrible, but probably won't happen. I, I, mercifully, we are at this current, currently where we are, it's that blackouts are not likely to happen but might and so you should still be prepared and the funny thing is that you are already prepared oh i'm prepared yes Yes, no i'm totally prepared (laughs) because you err on the side of extreme caution don't you yes and you've got uh, you should make this as a confession to listeners who are new to this you were one of the toilet roll hoarders at the beginning of the pandemic i was a bog roll bandit yeah um no it's terrible isn't it and i still Sometimes I, I can't resist my. <laughs> I just think, oh, uh, well, I I better just I'll get that four pack, even though I've got a sixteen pack at home already. 
So you're That's gone already, up, by the way. You're already prepared for blackouts. You would be okay if there was a blackout tonight. I would. I'm, that makes it sound like uh, as though I want them to happen. I emphatically don't because I know they'll be both frightening and dangerous for some people. So as I, I just keep wanting to emphasise, they are not on the cards. They remain a relatively remote possibility. I think they're one of those things, though, that people do want to talk about and hear about in a strangely not accepting that it might be frightening and all that kind of stuff in a weirdly British way. I think we like stories about storing things up and being prepared. Preppers. And... But we're not preppers. I mean, the Americans have a fine tradition of prep, prepping, don't they? I mean, I th- I mean, they have whole shopping aisles dedicated to what might happen in an emergency, don't yeah. they? I don't think we have those. No. Well, we do have, there are British preppers. I remember I interviewed one once and she just had a lot of tins of beans. Okay. Uh which would indicate that... Have you got a go bag? <laughs> I haven't got a go bag, no. What, like the, the bag you prepare when you might be going to a maternity hospital? Yeah, I think that's very... That's got very different things in to the bag that you might have somewhere in your house just in case of the apocalypse. Because oh, well. I'm not sure that I'll be taking to the apocalypse a very, very large set of sanitary pads, some Ribena and dime bars, which I was addicted to in both of my pregnancies. Although, actually... You had one this afternoon. Yeah. Do you have something <laughs> to tell me? <laughs> That'd be lovely. That'd be good for the times, wouldn't it? Crikey. Um, <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I know. Yeah, I I don't want to... No, I won't be wearing a nipple shield at the time of the... <laughs> at least I hope not. <laughs> Although, oh, that's funny, isn't it? Oh, uh, you could make a very, very good sitcom out of somebody getting the wrong go bag at the beginning of the movie. Grabbing the wrong go yes, bag. Yes, yeah. Oh dear. Now, who was our big guest today? Oh, our big guest was sensational. Elizabeth Day, who is a podcaster, journalist, novelist, writer, novelist, non-fiction author. Hugely successful. Yep, absolutely wonderful woman. And she was on to talk about not one, but two books that she's currently writing, both of which will be published next year. One is a book based on her How to Fail podcast aimed at teenagers, explaining why failure is actually a really, really good thing to go through. And the other book is all about friendship, female friendship, what works, what doesn't, what's toxic, what's not. And as you'll also hear in this interview, um, Elizabeth Day has interviewed Elizabeth Truss and uh, she has some quite interesting things to say about what that experience was like. Anyway, here is our chat with podcaster, novelist and non-fiction, uber-successful author Elizabeth Day. Isn't that a good link? One Uh, of your amateurs. Well, into keen amateur. (laughs) Keen amateur Elizabeth Day, uh, writer, journalist, and the brain behind the incredibly successful podcast, How to Fail, Um, which, I mean, it is, uh, let's just get that over with for a start. How to Fail is a really daft title for an incredibly successful podcast hosted by a very successful woman. Do you ever think of changing the name? I don't, because when I started it, I felt like a failure, and and it wasn't successful, and I wasn't successful in that sphere. And... When I started, I felt like a failure primarily in my personal life because I was 39 and single and recently divorced and all of that. And I just had a yearning to talk to other people about how they coped with failure and how they survived and what, if anything, they learned from it. And it was as big a surprise to me as it was to anyone that it's become mildly successful. Everyone wants to be on it. 
Apart from Fee Glover, I've asked her and she said no. Did she? Yeah. Oh, you'll get her now. She's got something to plug. Um, you're, you've you're... been on it though, Jane. Yes, One I've of my favourite ever episodes. Oh, of course. What else can you say? I thought yours was a lovely episode, actually. I'm going to no. add a note of sincerity there. No, I thought well, it was. It was you know really why? good. Because Elizabeth's a really good interviewer. and oh. uh, But it's, it's actually a great, genuinely such a great idea because everyone, however successful they might seem, nothing has been easy for anybody really, has it? Exactly. That's the idea behind it, is that vulnerability is the source of all true connection. That's a belief of mine. And also, if we see people that we might aspire to or that we see them as sort of shimmering gods on the red carpet when they're going to their latest film premiere, they might seem quite far away from us and it might seem quite alienating. But actually, when you get into the bones of their story, it turns out that they've had lots of trials and tribulations to get there. I mean, obviously various people to varying degrees, but I find that a very democratic way of doing an interview. And it also makes it easier for me as the interviewer. I mean, thank you for your kind words, Jane. But I ask people in advance of coming on to come up with three failures in their life that they don't mind discussing. And often that choice is very instructive because what people categorise as failure says Mm. a lot about them as a person. But it also means that the parameter is set for the interview. So I think people come feeling quite safe already. And it means that we can have really intimate and open conversations. And I value that as a journalist. Do you think you could have made it and would it have been as successful 15 years ago? Oh, what a great question. (laughs) Look at this. It's like you're a pro. I've never been asked that before. Wait, so 15 years ago would be what? Early 2000s? Mm. Um, Possibly not, actually. I think I got very lucky with my timing and I didn't think it through. It wasn't some master plan strategy at all. I... I got in at the beginning of podcasts and I also got in at a time when people were beginning to hear of legends like Brene Brown and the idea of being more open about things going wrong was just starting to take hold. But I think in the early 2000s, what with the rise of social media, there was this insane period of time where Instagram and Facebook became places where we could curate visions of our own perfection. And that was the selling point. And and also when stars, quote unquote, broke down publicly, it never did their image any good. So I'm thinking of Britney Spears. So I actually just don't think in that era we would have been ready for it in the same way. And I certainly in that era was a print journalist doing a lot of interviews with celebrities about all of their successes. And there was a specific format to that. You know, you had to go in with a little potted biography and then you had to say, and what was it like working with so-and-so? And And they would say, oh, wonderful. And that was it. And that was the deal. And you couldn't ever get anything more, I felt, authentic or real or honest. So uh, changing the subject slightly, though not entirely, uh, watching Liz Truss yesterday, (laughs) Fee and I felt something approaching sympathy and I don't think sympathy is great if you start to feel it for a politician Mm. certainly not for a leader of a free country when she was sitting on the green leather in the Mm. house of commons when she came into that chamber her body language could not have been more different to the kind of rumbunctious bravura Liz Truss that we'd seen a couple of days before and she Mm. just looked haunted she she really did look look terrible is that a woman who's dealing well with a massive failure? (laughs) I would say no. I think that there's a lot going on here. I think that the broader failure is one of our political system, which we can get into another time. But that is a failure 
in the sense that she got elected to a role that arguably she wasn't ready for. And also that our system is so combative rather than collaborative. So even when you do something so disastrous, you have to front it out. There's this sense that you have to front it out and you can't possibly admit to having made mistakes. And even when she did offer a sort of half-hearted apology yesterday in a TV interview, I felt that it was quite a sort of passively expressed apology. It was sort of... Um, I objectively feel one could be sorry if one if someone else had made mistakes. It was sort of that tenor. Okay. And yeah. I think the first step to dealing with failure and to learning from it is to have self-awareness of what's gone wrong. But are we still at a stage where we expect more from women in roles like that? Boris Johnson, I can't mm. remember, did he ever say sorry? I think you're totally right that we do expect more from women. And uh, it's it's a much harder battle to win because if you say sorry too much then you might be accused of being overly emotive and you're right that Boris Johnson just had this immense bravado that some people bizarrely found appealing. But he did say sorry didn't he? He offered one apology during Partygate at the beginning that was much criticised because I think people didn't feel that it had authenticity behind it okay. and then another apology where people noted a, a proper sense of contrition. But so that two was sorries he said. Quite far, quite far down Uh, The road, I think. But he has said sorry. He was also famously sent to Liverpool to say sorry, wasn't he? Uh, Which I'm not sure back in the day was sure that any effective apology in that city were all that (laughs) accepted um, it. (laughs) Ever ever entirely come to terms with him. But anyway. I've actually interviewed Liz Truss twice. Oh, go on. Once way back when she was, I think she was a backbencher, but she was not one of the new influx of Tory MPs. And I interviewed her for The Observer, left-leaning newspaper. And I and I really liked her. And she seemed quite fizzy and interesting. And then the second time I interviewed her was when she was being touted as a successor to Theresa May. Remember Theresa May? Yeah. Well, some people <laughs> so, say she might be making a comeback. Stand by for more later. Carry on. <laughs> it says a lot that I, I feel relieved at that prospect. Well. <laughs> um, but I interviewed her the second time when she was being touted as a possible prime ministerial contender the first time around. And I found it harder to warm to her, not because she was in any way unpleasant, but because she lacked a fundamental quality that makes me warm to people, which is introspection. And I think in order to be self-aware, you need to have introspection. And I don't know whether she was just very good at pretending she didn't have it for the purposes of a newspaper interview. But I remember there was a couple of things. I, I asked her when the last time she cried was, classic journalist question. She said, oh, probably a film or something. And then she told me the story of how she met her husband and they went ice skating together and uh, she fell over and I went gushily, oh, you fell at his feet? And she said, yes, I've always enjoyed winter sports. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it was quite hard to get yeah, a chink of humour out of her. I'm with Liz here. I think you were just trying to inject a saccharine note of journo pap. And she just wasn't going for it. A sucking note of journo pap. Is that your second album? I think we better have a break. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com We're in conversation with our big guest of the afternoon, Elizabeth Day, podcaster, novelist and writer of nonfiction. And you're going to write something next year, we're writing it now, mm. about friendship. Now, yes. What inspired this? This is nonfiction. It's nonfiction. First of all, I love being called a big guest. Thank you very much. I'm going you're to put huge. that in my Twitter bio. You're huge. <laughs> um, it's nonfiction and it's a book called Friendaholic, Confessions of a Friendship Addict. And it's about my journey through friendship. And what prompted it was the pandemic, to be fair. And I think actually a lot of people underwent re-evaluations of their friendships during that time because overnight our diaries cleared out and either we felt extremely lonely or we felt the blessed relief of having Mm -hmm. a few evenings in. Mm -hmm. And it was really about assessing where I'd gone wrong with friendships and how I'd said yes to too many encounters that should have just stopped at being friendly rather than making them into bona fide friends. And then how sometimes you get overwhelmed. There's a saturation point that comes from more and more connections. And because friendship isn't something that socially we're allowed to fail at, it's seen as a failure if a friendship ends. Whereas romantic relationships, part and parcel of that is that you'll probably have a few before you find someone that you want to settle down with. And so I realised that there wasn't a language to express some of the things that I was feeling and that I knew a lot of my closest friends were also feeling. And Friendaholic is an attempt to explore my addiction to friendship and also to provide a language of it. Okay. Do you think you are a good friend? I think I'm a good friend in certain respects. And this is something that I've had to be really clear-eyed and honest about in the book. I think I'm a bad friend in the sense that I'm extremely conflict avoidant. I care too much what other people might think of me and that makes me cowardly and so sometimes I haven't faced up to the ends of friendships and I haven't said in black and white or I haven't spoken to someone about why I feel our friendship is ending and I have just fallen out of their lives which might be called ghosting and I feel really bad about that but I think part of the reason that is the case is because there is a lack of vocabulary And because we all feel ashamed if a friendship has in some way gone awry. And what I realised during the writing of the book is that friendships are not failures just because they end. They can have an incredibly meaningful impact on your life forever, even if they're not an active daily part of it. It's a bit like volcanoes. Volcanoes can be dormant, but they completely shape the landscape around them. And so... I think I'm a good friend in that respect, in that I've realised that. And I think of my former friends with love. And I think I am relatively funny. I mean, maybe you two could disabuse me of that notion. Just and I, on. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm present. Like, if you need me, I will be there. Yes, definitely. I was going to say, that's the, the ultimate test, isn't it? I mm. mean, I, I honestly think I have, there are people I know I could ring at three o'clock in the morning. 
And actually, isn't that what do you what would you regard as the biggest test of a friendship? Well, well, so I've got this test which I inherited actually from somebody else, which is the M4 friend. Would you, when you're driving on your way to a really lovely weekend on the M4, if you got a phone call from somebody, would you just turn around and go back to help them? Would you mm. take the call in the first place and would you ruin your own weekend? If it was safe mm. to take it, I would. Yes, <laughs> OK. I mean, obviously not a U-turn on the M4 uh, using the uh, the necessary slip roads, etc. But it's that kind of thing, isn't it? To yeah. be able to know that you would interrupt your own life, whatever you're doing, to go and help somebody else out and stay with them until they're OK. And I, I sometimes think as women, and m- men who are listening can really correct me about this, but... I think we have such an expectation of those kind of friendships and finding lots of them that sometimes we're not looking, we're not, we're, we're not hard enough with ourselves to kind mm. of go, actually, I can only have two of those people across a whole lifetime. I can't yes. expect everybody to become that or for me to become that to them. I don't know whether men do the same thing. I think we collect friendship in a, in a different way. Well, I think that goes into that notion of shame and failure because women, and this is a huge generalisation and therefore I'm sure inaccurate, but women, generally speaking, are meant to be friendly. They're meant to be pleasant and pliable and nice. And we're meant to be able to foster that sort of small talk and that communication at the school gates. And therefore it feels humiliating and shameful if we don't carry on friendships lifelong and you're totally right that that's completely impractical and there's a a very famous scientist in this field called Robin Dunbar who I'm sure you've heard of who developed Dunbar's number which is about how many we'll certainly pretend we've heard of Robin I'll be honest and say no (laughs) (laughs) but he said this thing he developed his theory and and, uh, evolved it somewhat he developed something called friendship layers and in your innermost layer you can have five people who are like the M4 people. It's a very privileged road to choose. There are other motorways do exist. Um, But you have five of them. And if you fall in love and you have a long-term romantic relationship or you have children, that will cost you two of those other relationships, which I thought was fascinating. And it's just at the end of the day, it's just about how much time we actually have and time is a finite resource. And... That's Yeah. And the other thing that I realised about friendship is that we all have different ways of measuring it. So the M4 test is a great one. For me, my primary friendship metric is generosity of spirit. If someone thinks of me well, even if I don't get in touch with them all the time, even if I'm terrible on the phone, if they're thinking of me well and they know that I'm thinking of them well, that for me is true friendship and we can pick up where we left off. Whereas some people really need the kind of face-to-face contact and their metric of friendship is time so it's really on some it will be shared hobbies and book club so it's really a question of finding out what your metric is can we talk a little bit about the book you're writing for young people I think, <laughs> i'm sure you have already written it this is philosophy for yeah. teens um is this out now or is that the new year as well that's coming out in january january a time when we all turn over a new leaf <laughs> Well, uh, exactly, we shouldn't, but we feel the pressure of that. A time when we have a lot of book tokens. That's also true. <laughs> I don't think the book token really exists anymore, does it? Anyway, um, I was just thinking how I often feel how grateful I am not to be 14, frankly. Oh, me too. Um, presumably, is that is that where you come from in terms of Absolutely. the toughness of it? Yeah, so Philosophy is a book that I wrote for adults, which was a distillation of seven failure principles that I came up with from having done four years now of the How to Fail podcast. And it's a reworking of that specifically for the teenage market because I have three teenage stepchildren and so I get a bird's eye view on how 
monumentally difficult it is to be an adolescent in today's society because not only are they the most tested generation we've ever had in terms of exams, but there is the inordinate pressure of peer groups on social media and feeling like you have to be living your best life and comparing yourself to gym girls or boys on TikTok. Mm. That's a huge amount that I never had to deal with and I'm so grateful for. And so really this is meant to be an empowering, warm and practical guide as to how failures don't have to define you, but they can actually just be useful data acquisition for the future about who you really are. Right. And you don't feel, you shouldn't feel pressure to have this. I mean, Instagram has its uses. I mean, I've bought a number of pairs of elasticated trousers that have been offered to me via that. The trousers I'm wearing now were advertised to me on Instagram. Were they? (laughs) And they are elasticated waists. (laughs) Elizabeth, I would not have known, but thank you. But it's, even I, I mean, I'm a reasonably intelligent, mature woman. I get so exercised by the great time everybody else appears to be having on Instagram. And then I'll speak to the same person the next day. And it turns out their holiday was rubbish. Yeah. And they hadn't spoken to their husband for three days of it. But don't you think it's really interesting what Elizabeth's done with the How to Fail podcast? Because it's put another horse in the race, hasn't it? Because we know that we've got all of that perfection search going on. And we're really hard on ourselves when we look at all of that. But your podcast people love because it's the flip side of that. So we are managing to, you know, to ride different horses. It's not all going to hell in the handcart you just have to choose something different we are capable of making that choice definitely and I think the important thing to remember when you're scrolling through social media is that you are comparing your insides to everyone else's outsides so you we know what neurotic messes we are inside our own messy heads but we can't possibly fathom that that person posting about her yoga retreat in Ibiza is also feeling like that because we only have her outside projection to go on. And that's been a very useful thing for me to remember as well. Plus the airplane mode function on your phone. Yeah, just switch it off. <laughs> oh, it hadn't occurred to me. You can put that on any time. Any time, Jane. I'm such a rule follower. I thought you could only put it on on airplanes. <laughs> You're absolutely joking me. No, I'm not. Are you joking? <laughs> No, what? Jane, that's the sweetest, I, purest thing I've ever heard. Out loud? <laughs> what a great title for a book. That was Elizabeth Day, and we were to use a, a favourite radio phrase, inundated. In other words, we had three messages from our listeners saying, could we have an Elizabeth Day slot every day? And we could. I mean, apart from anything else, it's just a gift of a pun, isn't it? A daily day slot. Day day. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but how revealing, Jane. Oh, no. <laughs> Your use of technology, honestly, I'm amazed that you get anywhere. I'm amazed that you managed well, to turn I up at work. I only use an aeroplane. I'm not a big traveller. mentioned it before. I go abroad once a year and I come back. I thank God for that. And that's when I use airplane mode. So I didn't know. I just, oh, no, it's really sweet. I, no, that's that sounds a bit patronising. Well, I don't mean I've... to be patronising. I was genuinely, and I think lots of people listening would just be tickled pink by the notion that uh, that you've literally interpreted the the, the symbol for airplane mode. <laughs> but is that why? Genuine question. Uh, sometimes you do come into work and you say that you know you've been pinged all night by your daughters or other family it's been a members. Been since I came to work. <laughs> In all honesty, but yes. Because you don't know, because you've been leaving your phone on all yes, night. And so the, how did you think the rest of the Western world was getting any kip at all? I did wonder. I just thought I, I am a light sleeper and I wonder whether everybody else was a heavy sleeper. Okay. So tonight, will you put the airplane mode on? Well, I think I will. Yes. And I'll report back.
I think we'll see a transformed yeah. Jane Garvin. I'll look 25 tomorrow when I come in. Yeah, uh, We've got plenty to look forward to on the programme tomorrow. You've you've volunteered openly uh, to drink the mushroom coffee that's being brought in for Wellness Wednesday. Are you yeah. sure you're going to want to do that? Well, I've been horribly exposed today, so why not do the same thing again tomorrow? I mean, it's not. I'm not a voluntary worker, <laughs> but let's let's see what happens, shall we? Uh, and I, it might be that I visit my favourite cubicle in the lavatory a little earlier than might otherwise have been expected. But look, other people will know to avoid it now because I've said which one it is. <laughs> so that's tomorrow. Plus, um, we are led to believe that Liz Truss will indeed be at Prime Minister's question, so we'll um, we'll talk about that as well. Okay. Uh, we love all of your emails. Do keep them coming. Jane and Fee at times.radio. Any subject you like, you don't have to follow the meanderings of our quite daft middle-aged minds. But you can. <laughs> you might learn something. <laughs> You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.